0: Our sermon this morning comes from Isaiah chapter 7, and it will be all of chapter 7 this morning. I'll read these 25 verses for us, and then we'll pray and ask for the Lord's help in understanding His word. Uh, so here again, Isaiah chapter 7. In the days of Ahaz, son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezan, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Rimelah, the king of Israel, came to Jerusalem to wage war against it. We could not yet mount, mount, mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go to meet Ahaz, you and shear Jeshu, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway of the washer's field. And say to him, Be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, at the fierce anger of Rezin and Syria, and the son of Rimlah. because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Rimelah has devised evil against you, saying, Let's let us go up against Judah and terrify it and conquer it for ourselves, and set up the son of Tabiel as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God: It shall not stand. And it shall not come to pass, for the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. Within sixty-five years, Ephraim will be broken to pieces, so that it will no longer be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remelah. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Here then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all the thorn bushes and on on all the pastures. And that day the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also." In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep, and because of the abundance of milk that they give, he will eat curds, for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will come there, for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for the hills that used to be hoed with a hoe, you will not come there for fear of the briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding his word today. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we thank you again for giving us your word and by your word giving us life. I pray that your people, those that you have called by your name according to your grace, would understand this word today. And I pray if there's anyone out there who has not yet been called by you, who is in your fold, that you would search for them and reach them through your word today. Call them to yourself. Give them the faith that they need so that they might believe in Jesus Christ. And we do pray that we would see Jesus Christ more clearly today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. you just got to have faith. That is a popular statement in our world. Even as pollsters tell us that there's an increasing number of a group that they call the nuns, or those without any religious affiliation, the reality is, is that we do not live in an unreligious society. The most adamant and aggressive atheists must admit that they too have faith in something, even if that something isn't what is traditionally called God. That can be demonstrated logically. But more importantly, God tells us in his word that everyone has faith. There are some who have not so foolishly rejected that idea of faith, but have turned faith into something of a magical power that, once employed, can fix any and all issues in your life. That's where the you-just-got-to-have-faith statement comes from oftentimes. You can go to a psychiatrist or a self-help guru. You can read self-help books in the bookstore. You can go to your friend down the street. Many of them will tell you that if you have faith, Your life will get better. Now for us and for our purposes this morning it's important to notice that our friends and our neighbors are all faith dependent. The question isn't if we have faith. The real question for us is what is the object of our faith. You see even though our world is full of people of faith the reality is that most of the time, their faith, and even our faith, is in in all the wrong things. Now, our passage today, Isaiah is going to teach us about true faith. Not the kind of faith that's lauded by the world, like a faith in self, or a faith in science, or a faith in faith itself. But a faith that rests in the only real security that any human can have. And this is an important lesson for us this morning. We need to wake up and to pay attention. Why should we do that? Because this morning you and I are inevitably trusting in something. We have placed our faith in either the correct thing or the incorrect thing. And those are really the only two options available to us. And the implication is that we will live according to the rules and the laws of the thing in which we have placed our faith. Now today, through Ahaz, in the book of Isaiah, we will see that faith absolutely matters. And I want you to see three things out of this passage. We see what faith sees, then we're going to see what faith says, and then finally, what faith secures. So let's begin with what faith sees in verses 1 through 9. What faith sees in verses 1 through 9. C.S. Lewis once wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. This quote is helpful in helping us understand what faith actually is. Because we are creatures of faith, we will see the world according to whatever we have placed our faith in. The fancy word for this is worldview. And Ahaz is a wonderful negative example to us, how to understand how faith helps us see the world. And I want you to notice what happens in this passage. Isaiah is sent to Ahaz at a, it is at an historically important time when he is at uh, an historically important location. Ahaz and the people of Judah have received news that these two kingdoms to the north, Samaria, which is also called Israel, which is also called Ephraim in this passage, and Syria, so you have Samaria and Syria, the two kingdoms to the north of Judah, They are joining forces against Judah. So Ahaz and his tiny kingdom are all fearful. From their perspective, there is no hope that they will be able to withstand the attack from their neighbors to the north. One commentator called this the crisis of Ahaz's generation. And then how he led his people at this time would be a history-defining moment. So what do Ahaz and his people see? In what has he placed his faith? We see it here in what he's doing when Isaiah goes out to meet him. Ahaz goes to a military strategic location, one of the important supplies of water to the city of Jerusalem. He has gone out, notice, first and foremost to inspect his military defenses and strongholds. He is attempting to gather as much information about his military resources as possible in order to secure his kingdom. From that, do you see where his faith lies? He is the king of Judah. He has access to the priests of the temple, to the temple itself, to the prophets of Yahweh. But instead of going to Yahweh, He looks to his own resources, human resources. So do you see what Ahaz sees according to what he's placed his faith in? He sees his own resources and he finds them lacking. He is not strong enough. So, that in turn leads to him being fearful of what is to come. Now amazingly, Yahweh sends his prophet to Ahaz to encourage him and to call him back to true faith. You can see this in verse 4. God tells Ahaz, don't worry about these two smoldering stumps of firebrands, which is a way of saying these two burned-out blowhards. The Lord tells him that both Syria and Samaria, or Ephraim, will be destroyed and the Lord is attempting to get Ahaz to look away from himself and his own resources and to look to the strength of the Lord. And then in verse 9, at the very end, he tells us, God tells us, how faith works. He says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. That is a way to say, if, you, if your faith is firm, you will be firm. Okay? But if your faith is not firm, then you will not be firm. And that is another way of saying that if you have placed your faith in something strong, then you will be strong. I hope that you've begun to understand faith's importance, why it matters. Jesus explained it by using the illustration of a man that builds his house on the rock versus the man that builds his house on the sand. Both of these men have built strong homes. But the foundation their homes are built on is what really matters. And every time the wind blows, the man who built on the sand is going to be worried and fearful. Let me make this personal. Whatever I trust as a pastor, that is what I will ultimately see. If I begin to think the success of of this church is determined by my preaching, by my leadership ability, and my pastoring, then I will be absolutely crushed when my sermons are criticized, when my decisions are questioned, and my pastoral work is inevitably inadequate. My faith would then be in my resources, not God's resources and His promises. Well, the same is true for you as well. Let's say your faith is in national dominance. But what happens whenever the national dominance of the United States is called into question or is threatened? Then you will be crushed, you will lash out in anger, and you will be fearful when you perceive that our national dominance is threatened. By the same token, if your trust is in your physical health, or even your loved one's physical health, when that is threatened, all you will see is the invisible dangers of the microbes all around you. Through his word, this morning Yahweh is telling us, stop looking at the resources of created things and start looking to the resources That's the first thing, what faith sees. Secondly, what faith says. So in verses 10 through 12 we see this. How does Ahaz respond to Yahweh's encouragement? And I don't want you to miss the fact that Yahweh has gone out of his way to pursue a man who is not being faithful and is not trusting him. God is being gracious to Ahaz and to Ahaz's people. But his pursuit of Ahaz goes even further than we would expect after reading that first part. He sends Isaiah to him and he says, Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. The Lord, knowing Ahaz's lack of faith, offers to give a miraculous confirming sign, a proof, whatever Ahaz wants. But sadly, Ahaz just cannot believe his tiny nation will be able to stand against Samaria and Syria regardless of the promises of God. And what does he do? He says, But Ahaz says in verse 12, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. Ahaz refuses the sign, refuses the proof. Ahaz responds according to what he believes or according to what he actually sees. He will not put God to the test. And that sounds so incredibly spiritual and pious, but in truth, it reveals Ahaz's refusal to take God at his word and to believe his promises. We need to understand that when God makes promises, he always gives a confirming sign along with those promises. You can pore over the scriptures, and I hope that you do, and you will see this truth. There are times, like in the case of Noah, When God gives a sign, even though Noah didn't ask for one, Genesis chapter 9. But there are also times when God gives a sign when his people do ask. You can see this in Genesis chapter 15 with Abraham. Chapter 15 and 17, he gives the sign of circumcision as a way to confirm what he's going to do. But then also in Judges 6, you see that with Gideon and the fleece. We need to understand it's not wrong to ask for a sign when God makes promises. Let me say it again. When the Lord makes a promise, he always, superlative, gives a sign to confirm that he will do what he promised he will do, always. And he does that still today. What has the Lord promised? Let me just say he hasn't promised to make you wealthy or rich or make sure everything goes well in your life. He hasn't promised that. But he has promised other things. He has promised to save his people through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's given signs attached to that promise. The confirming signs he has attached to that promise are the Lord's Supper and baptism. You might say, but those are just the ordinary things that we do as a church. They aren't miraculous, but you would be wrong in saying that. They are absolutely miraculous, even though they are ordinary. But that's not really the point of this sermon. You can feel free to ask me more about this later, and I hope you do ask me about these things. But I want you to see what Ahaz says about this sign. He says, I don't want it. I don't want the sign. He has so rejected Yahweh, believing instead in his own strength, that he won't even trust the Lord when a sign is offered. It would be like parents who believe, or say they believe, refusing to baptize their child, even though the promise is for them and their children, as you see in Acts chapter 2. Here's the point. You will have a verbal response. You will say things according to what you have placed your faith in. Jesus says it this way in Luke 6, 45. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever is really going on in your heart, whatever you are really trusting in, it will be proved by the things that come out of your mouth. Let me illustrate it to you this way. A few years ago, a pastor friend of mine was begging his elders to sign up and get on to Facebook. Now, many of his elders did not see the value in doing that because they thought it was a waste of time, which, let's be honest, it largely is. But my friend employed them, our people, this is what he said, our people are on Facebook and they are not just being silly, they are actually bearing their souls. For some reason people will put on Facebook what they will never say to anyone face to face if you really want to know what's in the heart of our people, you need to look at their Facebook pages. Whatever you're really trusting in, or whatever what Jesus calls whatever you're really treasuring, is going to show up on your Facebook wall, on your Instagram account, on your Snapchat stories, on your TikTok, on your Twitter feed, or your internet search history, etc., your online life shows what is really in your heart. And I know some of you aren't online and you say, Well, I don't have anything to worry about. Well, whatever you speak, that comes from your heart. It's the same thing. So, what's coming out of your heart this morning? Does what you say demonstrate faith in Jesus Christ or faith in the world, like Ahaz? So that's what we see, what faith says. Finally, we see what faith secures. And we see this in the, the very end, verses thirty-five through 13 through 25. So Ahaz, in his lack of faith, he refuses a sign. But Yahweh says, I'm going to give a sign to you anyway. That's the way it is with Yahweh. He always gives a sign when he makes a promise. So what is the sign? A virgin will give birth to a son. And in the New Testament, Matthew 1.23 says that this prophecy found its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But let's just focus here on Ahaz. You see in verses 13 through 70 that this sign is connected to what seemingly is generally positive outcomes. The boy is going to eat curds and honey, and that's an indication of some prosperity and the two kings of Samaria and Syria are going to become nothing. They're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. And the dynasty is going to experiencing some temporary great blessing and prosperity. But then at the end of verse 17, you get an ominous note. The king of Assyria. All is not well with Judah, even though things begin kind of Positively, In verse 18, there is a sharp turn that happens. Though Ahaz and Judah will experience some of those temporary prosperities, Isaiah announces that they will face a greater threat than Samaria and Syria. There's something much greater just beyond the horizon of those two nations. The Assyrians, just a little farther to the east, are growing in power. And dominance and Egypt still Egypt to the south feeling threatened by the growth of the Assyrian Empire are going to try to use Judah as a buffer zone the brutality that the Judeans will face is hinted at by the animals that are mentioned here and here here's what the Lord says he says in verse 18 and that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the streams of Egypt, for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. The whistling indicates a dog, the bee and the fly indicates other forms of judgment and stinging. Yahweh will whistle, and the enemies will come. And here you get some of the depravity of the Assyrians mentioned here. And that day, the Lord, or I'm sorry, um, let's see, At the very end uh, of verse 20, well, let me read all of it. In that day, the Lord will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair, uh, the hair of the feet, and it will sweep away the beard also. Let me just say that word feet there is a euphemism. It doesn't really mean feet. He will not just shave the feet, but here's what they're saying, that the Assyrians are going to come and they're going to shame and humiliate the people of Judah lay them naked and bare in humiliation. And that's what the Assyrians were known for. Ahaz was afraid of two relatively minor kings and minor kingdoms. And what Yahweh begins to show him is that his fear ultimately is misplaced. But it's not that he should be afraid of the greater Egyptians and Assyrians. No, he should be afraid of Yahweh, the one he has refused to believe in. Ultimately, whatever you're afraid of in this life will not be able to match the fear of facing Yahweh in his holy judgment. Ahaz's faith in self secures the judgment of Yahweh. So what is your faith securing today? Perhaps you're like a lot of people in our world today. You're fearful of the future. You're worrying about what's coming. And your response is to stockpile your pantry, to pad your bank account, to fortify your investments. Now, none of those things are bad in themselves. They might even even be wise. But I want you to ask the question, are you really any more secure because you have more human resources? Of course you're not. Come on, friends. You need to be wise here. You need to pay attention. Your faith in yourself secures nothing but judgment. But faith in Jesus Christ secures eternal salvation and ultimately eternal prosperity and peace. What is your faith securing? In conclusion, how does faith in the Lord secure the things that he has promised to give us? It's because of what we read here. It's the promise of Emmanuel, God with us. If God is with us, then we can stand, come what may. The question is, is God with you? If you're trusting in Jesus today, then God is with you. He is your Emmanuel, and you are secure. I hope all of you are. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. We pray that you would help us to believe it and to trust in Jesus Christ and not in ourselves, not in our strength, our ability, or in the nations, or in the people, or any kings or princes or presidents or anything in this world. We pray that our trust would be in Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name.